My name is Ben Greenfield, and on this episode of the Ben Greenfield Life Podcast. It all comes back to, I think, the model of understanding that disease starts in the cell. You have to really understand like the seven or eight hallmarks of aging, mitochondrial dysfunction, like stem cell exhaustion, telomere attrition, loss of proteostasis. These are all terms to just say that the cell is not functioning the way it should be. And so instead of just saying, hey, let's just target this one thing and hopefully it'll work. Instead, what we say in regenerative medicine and functional medicine is we say, wait a minute, like there's like seven or eight different processes going on here. So why don't we try to stack different therapies or modalities so we can treat all the different cellular pathways? For example, with chronic pain, we know that the inflammation is part of it. So yes, we'll get some very good anti-inflammatory stem cells, inject them into the spot. A lot of times there's a big component of immune dysfunction. So that's where peptides can be super helpful, like thymosin alpha-1 and thymosin beta-4, because they can help with the immune system. And then you can also do IV stem cells because they help to systemically target all those other hallmarks of aging. And that's why I love IV stem cells, because they're really comprehensive in terms of targeting all those cellular hallmarks of aging. Faith, family, fitness, health, performance, nutrition, longevity, ancestral living, biohacking, and a whole lot more. Welcome to the show. Hey, so you may or may not have heard my podcast with Dr. Jeffrey Bland crazy smart father of functional medicine doing things like harvesting rare known wheat varietals from long-lived populations in random places in china importing them to the u.s growing them isolating the probiotics and prebiotics from them and then delivering you this comprehensive immune wellness and longevity enhancing approach using an ancient grain that's been reinvented that by the way most people have gluten issues handle just fine Another example of what he's doing is harvesting fresh Alaska salmon, flash freezing it, guts and all, because the guts contain a bunch of stuff most other fish oil manufacturers don't use, packaging that up, flash freezing it, and making that available as a fish oil. I think if you were to get anything he has available right now, although his entire shop called Big Bold Health is amazing, you should look into Microbiome Rejuvenate. He took all that 100% organic Himalayan tartary buckwheat, and then he studied up levels of lactobacillus rhamnosus CRL-1505 and microalgae-derived beta-glucans with key polyphenols. So all that means in non-geek speak is some of the most gut-friendly compounds and immune-friendly compounds. And since your gut immune axis is incredibly related essentially healing your immune system or strengthening your immune system directly through your gut. I've started to use this stuff and it's really nice to have that insurance in the morning that I'm popping what science knows to be one of the best things I can do for my immune system every single day. Big Bold Health is going to give you 10% off anything from their website. Very simple. Their Himalayan tartary buckwheat flour, that microbiome rejuvenate I talked about. Go to bigboldhealth.com and use code BEN10 for 10% off. That's bigboldhealth.com and use code BEN10 for 10% off. Hey folks, you may have heard my interview with the smart, smart scientist Lat Mansour from uh, HVMN, Health via Modern Nutrition is what that stands for. These folks are cracking the code on making ketosis easy with these drinkable ketone esters that are also highly affordable. I mean, I remember back when ketones used to cost literally like thousands of dollars. Now you can get a little bottle of ketone IQ for like four or five bucks. They're even available at Sprouts in California and uh, they stand by their products a hundred percent. So you drink the ketones, it crushes your appetite cravings, gives you athletic performance for hours and hours, improves your metabolic health, fights inflammation. I love to throw a few back on a long haul plane flight to support mental clarity and keep me from chomping on airplane food. You get the idea. It's a truly cutting edge drink. They create it through a $6 million contract from the U.S. Department of Defense, deep partnerships with some of the top researchers in ketone science. They stand by their products so much, they give you all your money back if you don't like it. And you will like it. If you want to avoid insulin spikes and caffeine jitters and mid-afternoon energy crashes, you got to start trying this ketone IQ stuff. Easy to transport, tiny little bottle, phenomenal cosmic power. I think that's a line from the old Aladdin cartoon. 
but nonetheless, hvmn.com forward slash Ben G and use code Ben G two zero for 20% off of any purchase from ketone IQ. And they do have uh, them available at Sprouts grocery store locations and also at the earth bar locations, which you'll find within Equinox if you're one of those folks. So check them out. hvmn.com forward slash Ben G and your code is Ben G two zero. Hi, ya. Sounds like something you'd say in a martial arts class, but it's not. It's this new multivitamin for kids called Haya. So you get it at Haya Health, H-A-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash Ben. Here's why I like it. Most kids' gummies and multivitamins have oodles of sugar, like five plus grams of sugar, which is like two teaspoons of sugar, and a whole bunch of other gummy junk that growing kids should never eat. So what Haya did was they created a pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable multivitamin, zero sugar and zero gummy junk, 15 essential vitamins and minerals, vitamin D, B12, Z, zinc, folate, whole bunch of stuff to support your kid's energy and immunity and brain function and mood and concentration and teeth and bones. It's non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, everything you can imagine. So it's safe for just about every kid that walks the face of this planet. A young, growing human needs nutritional support, and this is how you do it, and this is how you do it guilt-free. So I've worked out a special deal with high off for this multivitamin. 50% 50% off your first order. That's huge. 50% off. So here's how. You got a HayaHealth.com slash Ben. This deal is not available at the regular website. H-A-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash Ben. Your discount code will automatically populate at HayaHealth.com slash Ben. Check them out for an amazing multivitamin for your kiddos. And you never know, you might just pop it too because it tastes amazing. Well, folks, as you no doubt know, there's a lot of myths and there's a lot of confusion out there when it comes to stem cells. Regenerative medicine in general, stem cells particularly, I mean, like people are constantly asking me, you know, what's better, your own stem cells or some other source like umbilical or placental or whatever, you know, or is it true that stem cells don't work unless they're combined with certain things or some sort of like scaffolding they could grow on? Do you need to combine it with exosomes? or do exosomes actually work? Does it matter where those come from? Is tissue engineering and gene editing as dangerous as it sounds? You know, should you or could you combine stem cells with things like peptides or hormones? And if so, what would be the ideal stack or protocol for that? I've obviously, if, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, interviewed other people in the stem cell industry, other physicians in the stem cell industry, And I recently met a guy who has really impressed me in terms of his body of knowledge. He is a guy who a ton of pro athletes, royal families, like a lot of big wigs travel to be treated by this particular guy. He's trained in sports medicine. He specializes in regenerative medicine. He conducted one of the first Health Canada approved clinical trials with what are called mesenchymal stromal cells or MSCs. He is known around the world for treating high profile celebrities and athletes. He's one of those guys that people travel to be treated by because he knows what he's doing. He studied the heck out of this stuff. He's the chief scientific officer of a company called Science and Humans. He teaches as an assistant clinical professor at University of Toronto, where he works with medical students and residents. Currently, at the time that we are recording this podcast, he's in Dubai. You're going to want to visit the show notes for today's podcast, uh, which are going to be at bengreenfieldlife.com slash Dr. Khan. That's D-R-K-H-A-N. Because the name of my podcast guest today is Adil Khan. Adil Khan, K-H-A-N. We've never talked before on the show. He's a brand new podcast guest. You're going to learn a ton. Adil, welcome to the show, ma'am. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Do you spend a lot of time over there in Dubai, by the way? No, it was, it was actually just all like incidental. Like, so what happened was uh, in March of this year, I got flown in um, by the richest man in Dubai. His name is Mohammed Alabar. He's the owner of Imar. He basically built the whole city. So the reason why Dubai is the way it is and it became an iconic place is because of Imar. Anyone who knows anything about uh, Dubai knows Imar is the main uh, principle for why People come here because of the Burj Khalifa, the six tallest buildings in the world. It was all built by this man. And uh, what happened was basically, it's a funny story because the personal trainer to the crown prince of Dubai heard about me and followed me on Instagram and stuff. And then um, this Alabar guy, um, the Imar founder, had a shoulder and knee issue and he wanted PRP. And there's there's like 
you know, there's probably a thousand people offering PRP in, in Middle East, you know? And so he's like, no, I want the best. So then my name came up and then he flew me down and I treated him and I treated his wife and uh, he was super happy. And obviously when you treat the richest man in Dubai, you get access to a lot of the high net worth individuals. And so that's why I ended up back here, just basically because I treated him. I, tre- I went to literally treat like two people. Uh, and then there was like, everyone wanted me to treat them. And I was like, I'm leaving in like five days. And then, so I just came back so I could treat a lot of people who just want to have access to my uh, care and obviously my technology. Um, and obviously it's good for networking and business and branding, all that stuff too. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about your technology because you're doing like some super different stuff with stem cells based on the couple of conversations that we've had. So we'll, we'll dig into that in a little bit. But yeah, du- Dubai is beautiful. It's a very cool part of the world. I think a lot of people... They get, I don't know, kind of nervous. Like I talked to a lot of Americans who have this this idea that it's just like this crazy foreign country that's dangerous, et cetera. But like Dubai is clean. It's amazing. It's it's like a clean Las Vegas Disney World for adults. Literally, that's what I say. It's like Las Vegas meets like Beverly Hills meets Silicon Valley in the Arab world. It's basically like this innovation hub from and you have some of the brightest people around the world. Just to give you context, 4000 billionaires moved into the region in the last year alone from Russia, from China, from all over, probably because of a tax haven, but obviously because there's so yeah. much money up here, it just keeps compounding. So uh, it's a pretty remarkable place. So for people, I think, yeah, just generally speaking, like if people want, like there's definitely none of that Islamic law stuff or any of that. So you don't have to worry about like getting like policed or anything. You can enjoy your time. Yeah, cool. Explain to me your background. Like, like how are you different than any other stem cell doctors out there? Like, why is it that people are going to you as the go-to guy right now in the stem cell industry? I want to learn a little bit more about your background and your history and your training. Yeah, I think it comes down to working with good scientists and good doctors. And like, so one of the doctors I trained with originally was um, Dr. Gallia out of, uh, of Toronto, Canada. He was actually the pioneer of PRP. So he was the first one in the world to do PRP injections. And so obviously I got into this whole regenerative field with him. And then I obviously as the technology evolved, then I kind of got into stem cells and I got connected with a guy named Dr. Ian White. Um, he's a Harvard trained scientist and he's had like 20 years of experience in the field. And so basically I've been working with him and also with University of Toronto on um, how can we enhance stem cell function and then also how can we better select who the best candidates are for stem cells too. So those are two of the things we're working on. Uh, but the, the biggest key difference, I think, between what we do and what everyone else does is that we actually have third party testing to validate our cytokine profile. So meaning like what is the actual protein profile, like where are the growth factors, what are the anti-inflammatory factors and how many live cells are there actually in the, you know, in the stem cells that you're using or even in the exosome products. So for example, like we have our own, like with Dr. Ian White, we have our own proprietary process and how we harvest the umbilical core stem cells and how we harvest the amniotic fluid. And we've done third party testing compared to other products and we have the best profile. Obviously, if people want to see that, whatever, we can make it public knowledge. But the point is, we've had uh, validation to show that. And that's why I think people get attracted to me specifically is because I'm working with scientists. I'm not just kind of working on my own, like as a doctor, because the reality is regenerative medicine, regenerative science is evolving so rapidly. And unless you have scientists to kind of back you up, there's no way you're going to be able to keep up with like the depth of the field. Even in Dubai, like I'm working with a scientist from Italy. So his name's Dr. Giuseppe Mucci, and he has some patents on stem cell tech too, and like genomics. And he's a really brilliant guy too. But like, I just, I'm so fortunate because I get exposed to all these high level scientists and I get to learn, you know, their 20, 30 years of experience and condense it. And then I can obviously share it with the world. Yeah. When, when you say that, like you, you guys are able to profile the stem cells, what exactly do you mean? Like, like, what are you looking at when you're profiling a stem cell? It's called flow cytometry. So there's two aspects to it. There's, so if people are looking to get stem cells done, they should always ask for two things. Number one is quality control. 50% of the money we spend on just our stem cell processing is quality control to test for like infections, like diseases, make sure it's good quality cells. And then the other thing is uh, flow cytometry, which is basically a special type of microbiological test where you look at the actual markers, meaning there's certain markers that stem cells need to have to actually be a true like stem cell. It has to have what are called CD, certain CD markers. And so if it doesn't have the right profile, then it's not really a stem cell or a stromal cell, which is another topic for discussion, but we, we can go into that. But there's a lot of misconception on what is a, let's start with what's an actual true stem cell. Because the problem okay. is you have literally hundreds of clinics in the U.S. offering stem cell injections. Uh, but in fact, none of them are actually offering true stem cells. They're offering what are called committed progenitor cells or medicinal signaling cells. As of now, unless you are in a clinical trial, 
every stem cell procedure you are receiving is not a true stem cell. The reason is because unless you isolate the actual mesenchymal stem cells or stromal cells and expand them in a facility, it is not a true stem cell because what you're injecting when you take your bone marrow or when you take your fat is just what's called progenitor cells. So meaning okay. they have a certain cell lineage that they're going to differentiate into. or So the, the meaning they can still turn into certain cells, but the main effect is anti-inflammatory. And it's what's called paracrine. So okay. sending signals to reduce inflammation. And you, you still get some benefit from that, of course. right? And that's why people still go back and they say, I had a stem cell injection. It worked great. But it's not really a stem cell injection. It is important for the nomenclature because people are getting, it's one of those things that's like, it's not really a stem cell injection. I mean, but are people going to just go around saying I had a progenitor cell injection? Probably not. But I think as long as they understand what is a true stem cell versus what you're getting in the States right now. Okay. All right. So, so these progenitor cells that you get in the States, the reason for that is because from what I understand, it's like illegal or something or considered to be the creation of a pharmaceutical to modify your own stem cells so they got to leave them as progenitor cells? Exactly. So they, they basically what they did, and this was probably lo the lobbyists, obviously, like people like Pfizer, and they have a lot of strong... I was actually just on a call yesterday, and it, I actually know someone in the FDA who said they, the reason... They basically, because of the drug lobbies, they, they want to classify stem cells as a drug, and they want them to go through the same type of trials, which cost like 30 to $50 million. That type of work is very expensive. And like, unless you... Like, no doctor's going to do that, right? Like, you can't do that unless you're a big pharmaceutical company or like a big company. As of now, basically, it's like they're saying any sort of true stem cells where you're isolating, you're expanding, or you're taking perinatal tissue like amniotic or umbilical cord stem cells, those are classified as a drug. And therefore, they're not allowed to be used in the U.S. Quick question about that. Didn't a judge in California like toss an FDA lawsuit recently? I was, I was talking with Dr. Harry Adelson about this, and he's, he said that something happened in California that would open the door to the proliferation of clinics that could expand stem cells. Did you hear anything about that? As far as I know, and I work with like the Orthobiologics Institute and I'm working with the American College of Regenerative Medicine as well, which is like the largest regenerative medicine organization. We have like a team of like 100 lawyers and like maybe there's maybe it's a very specific case. But as of now, definitely outside of clinical trials, you are not allowed to expand stem cells in the U.S., more so in, if, you get in, if you get an infection or something bad happens, the insurance won't even cover you. So the malpractice can be, a, you, can, you can lose your license, basically. I didn't want to leave Canada. Like, you know, Canada's, I mean, I like Canada, but it's just the regulation is so pathetic. They're like 10 years behind. So that's why I'm working in Mexico, Italy, Dubai. I'm working in Egypt. Like I'm working all over the world doing the stem cell, like expanded stem cells, because it's, it's approved pretty much everywhere else except Canada and U.S. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at an article right now on this ruling in the state of California, and it says this judge, Bernal, ruled in favor of the defendants of the cell surgical network, saying that their their treatments and they were, their expanding cells w were outside of FDA jurisdiction and that the stem cells weren't considered drugs. I've, I have no clue what that means for the industry, but I, it seems like like something's kind of happening. Yeah, it could, set a, it could set a precedence. Yeah, for sure. And But the problem is there's people on the other side who are trying to push back. And if for a doctor, it's basically a gray area and you don't know if your malpractice will cover it. So you have to be very careful. That's my advice to doctors who are doing it. You know, and we are opening up a clinic in, in Florida with the actually with the Florida Panthers. Um, so we're opening up in a with a professional hockey team. And I'd love to I'd love to offer expanded stem cells there. But I just maybe I mean, maybe I'll have to look more into that. But as of now, we can't uh, as far as I know. But you, you could do it internationally. Yeah, exactly. My patient, especially my 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 athletes, all those guys will just fly down to Mexico and it's no problem. Okay. All right. Got it. So, so back to these stem cells versus these progenitor cells. It's, it's my understanding that stem cells can just like replicate and replicate and replicate, and they can be expanded almost like indefinitely, but progenitor cells are kind of like limited. Hence back to what you were saying, they have like a little bit of an inflammatory or, or a paracrine signaling effect, but does that mean that they don't actually like heal the tissue or grow new tissue as effectively? Exactly. They don't have a, what's called engraftment effect, meaning they okay. don't actually engraft and regrow new tissue. Hmm. They help to reduce inflammation, which can still be helpful, like we were saying, and it can still help, especially for osteoarthritis, for example, it can still help for like two, three years, but it's not going to regrow you a new knee. If you want to regrow your, a, a new knee, there is, there is a way to do that, uh, but you need what's called the regenerative medicine triad. You know, you need progenitor cells or stem cells, you need growth factors, and you need a scaffold. What are, what are the three again? You said you need the cells and what else? 
the cells, growth factors, and a scaffold. The cells, growth factor, and a scaffold. So, so the cells would be your, your own stem cells that have been expanded, right? Yes, and that expanded okay. stem cells obviously have growth factors in them, so that covers two of them. Okay, so you don't you don't have to do additional growth factors if if the stem cells has been expanded. No, unless you're doing like some people might mix PRP, you know, for additional growth factors, mm-hmm. uh, but you don't necessarily do. Okay, especially if you're expanding the stem cells. Okay, now what about the scaffolding? What's that? Yeah, so the scaffolding is very interesting. So there's a guy out of University of Washington named Farshad Gulia. He's the first guy in the world to develop FDA-approved. It's an underclinical trial right now, so it's not approved yet, but it's an FDA-approved clinical trial for 3D bioprinting scaffold. Uh, and it's using what's called an hydrogel polymer. Uh, so basically, it's made up of like hyaluronic acid, which you know is like collagen, and it's, just, it's a chain of that. And it, it, it basically, they use your body, so they'll look at a knee or a hip, and then they'll actually print a custom biodegradable scaffold. They'll seed it with the stem cells, and then it'll actually resurface the entire joint. So that can grow wow. you a new knee. Holy cow. So, so what's the scaffolding made out of? It's a biodegradable uh, hydrogel, which is made up of hyaluronic acid, essentially. Let's say uh, it's a knee. Would you, would you first, after you've taken out someone's stem cells and, and prepared those for an injection, take the, the hyaluronic acid and inject that with like a needle into the knee? You would actually use a scope. And yes, you would inject that into the knee um, and it would create a sca- like an actual scaffold that holds. And then you seed the scaffold with the stem cells okay. and then that actually resurfaces the entire joint. So um, I'm actually working like with for shot like we just because we want to be the first ones in the world to offer that in Mexico, because obviously can't. I mean, U.S. is not going to approve that probably for like five, 10 years, because, again, like this is going to take away from knee and hip replacements. Right. And that's like the biggest money generator for hospitals. So you're basically disrupting the whole medical care system. So they're going to they're going to fight back as much as they can. It's going to be interesting. So the the scaffolding goes in first. It sounds like a very unique approach. I haven't heard of this before. The, the scaffolding goes in first. And then the stem cells, I'm assuming you're using someone's own stem cells, like, like their marrow or their fat cells, or are you using a different source of stem cells to go in on top of that scaffolding? Yeah, we can talk about that. So what's better, like, you know, autologous or allogeneic? So that means like using your body's own versus using someone else's. So the literature is... It's still not 100% clear, but based off the general scientific community and the way the trends in the literature, uh, allogeneic, meaning donated, is better. Um, the main reason being because you can use umbilical cord, and umbilical cord has no chance to undergo any mutations. It's fresh stem cells in terms of like the growth factors and all that, too. They have more than uh, like the fast stem cells. And obviously, if you're older, too, like, right? Like if you're 55, you have knee pain, your stem cells aren't going to be that great to begin with. So it's better to use a young, healthy person's or, or babies, right, from perinatal tissue. Okay. Now, now back to the expansion thing. Are those stem cells expanded? Yes. Yeah, okay. For resurfacing the joint, you, you use it. Because the problem is if you don't, like, so there's a lot of, there's actually been quite a few research trials now using expanded stem cells for osteoarthritis. And if you don't expand the stem cells, the results are quite mixed. Like it's probably like 70, 80%, not bad. But when you expand the stem cells, like for for example, with fat stem cells or bone marrow, and you have like between 10 to 50 million, somewhere in that range seems to be the right dose, then the results are almost like, you know, like close to like 100%, especially if you inject them uh, intraosseous, which means into the subchondral bone. So just to give you an idea, but the problem with osteoarthritis is that the cartilage thins out, but then the bone underneath also gets damaged, right? It's called the subchondral unit. And so if you don't treat the bone and the cartilage together, then you're not going to get a great result. So there's actually been research um, out of Europe and France, and they actually did a 12-year follow-up where they did intraosseous stem cell injection. So intraosseous means they put it into the bone and they put it into the joint. And they did a 12-year follow-up with one group had knee replacements and one group had the intraosseous stem cells. And the group that had the intraosseous stem cells, only one person ended up needing revision uh, into a knee replacement, whereas five people in the knee replacement group ended up needing revision. And, this, and so it's long-term um, incredible results, right? Like it's actually potentially better than a knee replacement. This whole intraosseous idea, it's my understanding that it's almost like aerating a lawn, where you kind of like put little holes, like you inject little holes on on the two articulating surfaces of a joint, and then you almost like plug those up with the stem cells, and, the, and then it kind of regrows some of the articular cartilage, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Now, the reason that this is cool and the reason I know this is because I don't know if I told you this story in any of our phone calls, but my knee was at like 20, 25% capacity a year and a half ago. 
And I had that intraosseous needling done in my knee. It was in the US, so I don't know how you know expanded these stem cells were or whatever. But like my knee's at like 90% now. It's pretty crazy. And that's the exact protocol that I had done after an orthopedic surgeon told me, hey, look, you're gonna have to get scoped. You got arthritis, you probably lost this knee. And I mean, like I'm running around the pickleball court, the tennis court. I went on a run the other day. I'm thinking about signing up for a triathlon now that I can run again. It's pretty crazy. We can get you the other 10% there if you're still having some issues, but because we can have, we can use the expanded stem cells. Is one of the advantages also of going with something like umbilical from a young, healthy source, the fact that you don't have to wait? Because if you take out your own bone marrow and your own fat, does that take a little while to expand those cells? It does. It takes like three to four weeks. So that's why for out-of-town people, we have a bank um, of allogeneic stem cells ready to go for fat uh, and for umbilical cord as well. Okay. And there's no babies harmed in the harvesting of these cells, right? No, no. In fact, it's the opposite. So it's not embryonic stem cells. So embryonic stem cells are where, you know, those were the controversial ones, right? Where it's like you create an embryo and you're taking their stem cells and like, obviously you're potentially killing the fetus. So that's like very controversial. Uh, and so no one, no one really does that. But embryonic stem cells are true, what's called totipotent stem cells, meaning they can turn into any type of tissue. Whereas the MSCs, the mesenchymal stem cells or mesenchymal stromal cells that we're using, they're what's called pluripotent. So they still have an ability to turn into multiple different types of cells, uh, but mainly they turn into either muscle, fat, cartilage. Um, those are like the typical cell lineages that they go into. So that's why the MSCs are great for musculoskeletal conditions, because that's usually what we're trying to treat. To your question, I do prefer the umbilical cord over the fat when it comes to like IV stem cells. But when it comes to injections, I usually use the fat because the fat is more, it has a greater propensity to turn into cartilage, uh, whereas umbilical cord can turn into a lot of different cell lineages. Interesting. So what's the recovery time like for, for a procedure like that? You know, are, are you out for a while? Do you get like a lot of pain and a reinitiation of the inflammatory process or are you, are you like on your feet the next day? It really varies. Like I had some people like literally they were like pain free in like a week and they felt great and had no pain after. And then other people have pretty bad pain for two, three days. Um, like if it's really bad, maybe one or two weeks. But most of the time you're only like resting or like non-weight bearing for 48 hours. Uh, and then you can go back on your feet and then you do cycling and activity. And then within two weeks, most people are back to where they were. And then they start noticing results pretty quickly, like within six weeks. Like I don't know how long it took you, but uh, usually that's what I find. That was pretty fast. I'm like Wolverine, bro. Took me about five days. But I do a lot of stuff. I do like the red light therapy and and I do PMF and hyperbaric. I think if you have access to a lot of these modalities post-treatment, it's it's pretty impressive. Exactly. And that's what we do in Mexico. We have we can stack cellular, what I call stacking different cellular pathways. So you can stack multiple pathways and then that way you can optimize the recovery, especially like, you know, I'm dealing with some of the like literally the highest paid athletes in, in the world. And so like for them, every week makes a difference. So if we can get them back faster, it's going to be a, it's going to potentially mean like a million dollars or something like that. I've used it for years. It's one of my go-to nootropic blends because it's like brain food. It's vegan. It's non-GMO, supports focus and memory and mental energy. 28 research-backed nootropics packed into one teeny tiny bottle. If you've appreciated my work for the last seven years now, you can attribute a great deal of that to this nootropic. It's called Qualia Mind. Qualia Mind. It's fueled my brain for years now. And you feel it within days. I would say within hours after taking it. You can also try it with a 100% money back guarantee and 15% off. Here's how. Go to neurohacker.com slash BGF. And use code BGF at checkout. It's already up to 50% off. You get an extra 15% off the already discounted price and get to try it for 100 days with no financial risk, money back guarantee, neurohacker.com, N-E-U-R-O, hacker.com slash BGF to try Qualia Mind and get an extra 15% off. How do you like that? Well, folks, you and I, or the average American at least, spend an average of 90% of time indoors, breathing around 30,000 gallons of air daily. According to the EPA, indoor air can be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases, a hundred times more polluted, especially like your home gym where you're breathing in even more air. This can be a serious issue. Data shows that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths around the world. 
So you need air purifying technology. And the one that I like as a standalone system that doesn't require you to go re-outfit your entire home's AC system or ducts is called the Air Doctor. The Air Doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. So your lungs don't need to. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested bacteria and viruses and virtually 100% of particles as small as 0.003 microns. They also feature whisper jet fans, 30% quieter than normal ordinary air purifiers, and they are extremely affordable and accessible. Furthermore, they're going to give you up to 39% off of one of their extremely impressive and efficacious air filters or up to $300 off today. Here's how you lock this in. You go to airdoctorpro.com slash Benji. You can get one with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping, but you're going to love it. Airdoctorpro.com slash G. You'll get up to 39% off or up to $300 off. So lock it in today, folks. You'll enjoy it. Clean air is something everybody deserves. You can get it with the Air Doctor. All right, folks. Clinical research has shown that therapeutically and for overall health and well-being, the most critical time to ground is when you sleep. The electrons you absorb when grounding neutralizes free radical damage, squelches inflammation, restores healthy endocrine function, enhances cellular gating and circulation. That then improves the cellular uptake of nutrients and oxygen and hormones while maximizing the removal of cellular waste. And you can now ground when you sleep. This company called Ultimate Longevity makes indoor grounded sleeping devices, and they've done clinical research studies on grounding the human body for health. When you sleep on these mats, you get six to eight hours of uninterrupted grounding, meaning I could travel, unroll it onto my hotel room bed, and fight all of the radiation, the inflammation I got from flying in the airplane right there during a full night of sleep. Full body grounding, which is what these mats give you versus just your feet on the ground, maximizes the electron transfer because the more surface area contact, the more beneficial the electrons, the more the results. So you get these amazing benefits and inside your body, this stream of electrons works as an anti-inflammatory, pain-relieving, anti-aging, antioxidant boost, squelching inflammation all night long. They've got over 20 peer-reviewed research studies that have been published on the extensive health benefits of grounding. For vagal tone, serum electrolytes, thyroid function, blood glucose, blood viscosity, sleep, pain, stiffness, blood pressure, stress, even depression and anxiety. It's crazy. So you can go to ultimatelongevity.com slash Ben to get your hands on these grounding mats. You can do mattress, pillow, blankets, a whole bunch of other valuable tools to help you bring your inflammation down and jumpstart your healing process. Again, it's ultimatelongevity.com slash Ben. Tell me a little bit more about stacking pathways. What, what kind of things are you doing? Yeah. So like I treat a lot of chronic pain, like that's one of my specialties. And, um, you know, the problem with traditional chronic pain is like, I mean, the whole system's broken, right? Like, I mean, I'm, I don't know if you've heard of that documentary about like the whole Purdue pharmacy and like how they got people hooked on oxycodone content and like all this stuff. What documentary is that? It's a really good one. It's called The Pharmacist. Um, it's on Netflix. Highly recommend it. But okay. it's basically about this company called Purdue Pharmacy. And they essentially tricked more or less. But, you know, doctors aren't children. So I, I don't know if you can say they were tricked. But let's just say they, they tricked doctors to believe that pain was a vital sign, like a sixth vital sign, and that they had to treat pain using pain meds. And so they essentially, whenever anyone had a pain, more than like five, six out of 10, they would be like, here, take some OxyContin, no problem. It's not addicting. It's, it's great for you. It's going to help get rid of your pain. And then obviously we found out it's superly addicting, people overdosing, people dying. Um, and then eventually they had like multiple lawsuits, um, but you know, they made $20 billion. They got lawsuits for like 5 billion and then they just obviously closed shop, but they're up like 15 billion. So this is what pharmaceutical companies do. They, it's just a cl their classic playbook. Wow. So the, the whole paradigm with chronic pain has been like very usurped by these pharmaceutical companies. And now it's kind of like, I would say mainly pain doctors who are usually like anesthesiologists. And they're very traditionally trained. So what that means is they only know how to ta tackle like one pathway. So they'll be like, okay, you have chronic back pain. It's your joint causing it. So let's inject some cortisone in there or let's do a nerve block and then we can get rid of the pain that way. But the reality is chronic pain has so many different pain generators. Yes, inflammation can be one part of it. There can obviously be biomechanics. It can be the immune system related to it. Uh, there can even be like what's called oxidative stress, like reactive oxygen species. Um, there's a lot of different cellular pathways that get affected in osteoarthritis. So it all comes back to, I think, the model of like understanding that disease starts in the cell. So you have to really understand like the, the seven or eight 
hallmarks of aging. And I, I think you probably know them, right? Like, like mitochondrial dysfunction, like stem cell exhaustion, telomere attrition, loss of proteostasis. Like, so basically, these are all like terms to just say that the cell is not functioning the way it should be. And so instead of just saying, hey, let's just target this one thing and, and hopefully it'll work. Instead, what we say in regenerative medicine and functional medicine is we say, wait a minute, like there's like seven or eight different processes going on here. So why don't we try to stack different therapies or modalities so we can treat all the different cellular pathways? For example, with chronic pain, we know that the inflammation is part of it. So yes, we'll get some good, we'll get some very good anti-inflammatory stem cells, inject them into the spot. But then there's also a lot of times there's a big component of immune dysfunction. So that's where peptides can be super helpful, like thymosin alpha one and thymosin beta four, because they can help with the immune system. And then you can also do IV stem cells because they help to systemically target all those other hallmarks of aging. They have like they're, and that's why I love IV stem cells because they're they're really comprehensive in terms of targeting all those cellular uh, hallmarks of aging. What kind of stem cells do you use for the IV stem cells, just for either the combination with a regenerative medicine procedure, like a stem cell injection or the stem cell scaffolding, or just like a general longevity? Do you focus on a specific type of stem cells? We do both. So generally speaking, I use umbilical cord uh, tissue, not umbilical cord blood. Um, it is a, it is important to notice the difference because tissue is more potent than blood. And a lot of people are still using blood products, but the tissue is actually better. It has more MSCs in there. It's called warden's jelly. That's like the, the word that most people have probably heard of. Uh, but it's expanded. It's expanded, obviously. So you expand it, you know, like to 100 or 200 million or whatever. Sometimes based off your body weight, it might be more. And then, yeah, you put it intravenously and that can work for you know, for neurodegenerative conditions, for chronic pain, inflammation, and like you said, for anti-aging and longevity, because it's going to make you younger at a cellular level. But to give people an idea, stem cell exhaustion is one of the hallmarks of aging. And what that means is as you age, your stores of stem cells deplete. So to give you an idea, so when you're born, you have about 200 million stem cells per cell. And then by the time you're 80, you have only like 1 million stem cells per cell. So that's a huge decrease, right? So your reserves are decreasing as you get older. If you can replenish those reserves using IV stem cells, then obviously it's going to have an anti-aging and longevity effect just from the stem cell exhaustion alone. But the other cool thing is anti-inflammatory, helps with mitochondrial function, helps with oxidative stress. There's some studies suggesting it may increase telomere length. So there's a lot of biomarkers that get improved when you do the IV stem cells. And uh, so it's really cool to see and that's why I do it. I mean, I've done it on myself. I'm doing it for my family. Like it's, it's basically it's one of the things if you have the money for, like everyone would do it basically, you know? Now, what about tissue engineering? Is that what you've just described? Tissue engineering is more that 3D bioprinting we were talking about earlier. So that's where you're actually creating scaffolds, uh, whether synthetic or um, it's actual like using biomaterials, like the hydrogels we were talking about earlier. So tissue engineering is 3D bioprinting essentially and using biomaterials and bio ink to print tissue. I know it sounds like science fiction, but it's not. We're not far away from printing organs. I think by the end of the decade, that'll be very achievable. And, and then, so instead of for like for kidney, like all these kidney transplant patients, instead of having to obviously get a kidney donor, you could just print them a new kidney and implant it. Could you print like a knee or an elbow, like a, like a joint? Yes, you could. I mean, eventually you could use bio if you had the right type of bio ink for cartilage, and yeah, you could just print it and then essentially just. Put it, use a scope and put it in and then you resurface the entire joint. Those things are all in the works right now. There's like, and there's a lot more research in China and Japan and Korea on this than there is in the U.S. because they're actually, I would say China is probably the leader in biomaterials and 3D bioprinting. Um, they're doing some really cool research and they're the ones who actually, there's a huge like, you know, 2000 page textbook that was published this year about biomaterials and 3D printing and it was, a, it was all, it was from China. Don't ask me how I got my hands on that, but. <laughs> now what about gene editing? Because they're doing a lot of the gene editing in China as well, right? Exactly. Yeah. And China, I don't know if you heard about that doctor who got arrested in China. Yeah, I did. Tell people about that. He modified the embryo and the fetus to have certain traits. You know, at first people were like, oh, wow, look at this discovery. It's so cool. This doctor is awesome. But then people were like, wait a minute, he's playing God. Like he shouldn't have done that. He's giving them better characteristics. And then everyone just, I guess, like got mad at him. And then he ended, and then, and then all of a sudden he's in jail. And then the, the child, as far as I know, went missing or something. Like I don't, like, I don't know where they are or if they're just like in protective custody or something like that, but super controversial topic, obviously. It's like, because eventually maybe you could gene edit and choose for certain characteristics, right? You could choose for color, you could, you could make potentially higher IQ, like, you know, and then only certain people can afford that. And then, it, you know, it gets into this whole topic about elitist society and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Now, now with the gene editing, is that something that could be used for regenerative medicine in some way? 
Yeah. So the intersection, it's like what we call the post-genomic era. So now that we've actually got gene editing technology improved. So the intersection of gene editing, cell therapy and tissue engineering together is really what's going to allow us to make the next generation of therapeutics. So what does that mean? So basically it means that we can customize a cell to program it to do what we want to target specific pathways. So let me give you an example. So have you heard of CAR-T? No, no, what's that? CAR-T is this really cool technology. Um, it's actually like a patented or trademark technology um, that's owned by a company. But basically, it's specifically, they use gene editing and cell therapy. So they edit the, what's called the T cells, which are part of your immune system, to target very specific pathways. So there's been two main uses for it. One, for like different types of blood cancers. And the T cell, and that's actually approved by FDA. So there's actually a, a gene edited cell therapy approved in the U.S., it's pretty cool. So they can actually edit the cells and use a gene technology to say, okay, this T cell go in there and target these cancer cell pathways. And then it can actually kill the cancer cells. It's also been used for lupus. And there was a trial in Germany done earlier th- or in late 2022. And it was essentially, they had 14 patients using CAR T technology and all 14 patients were in remission or like cured basically. Right. And like in, in medicine, we really use the word cure or remission because it's with chronic disease, like the pharmaceutical model is not to be that, right? It's like they just keep people on medicine. So when you have these amazing technologies using gene editing and cell therapy where you're actually putting people in remission, it's it's almost unbelievable. But it's one of those things that's, I think, again, like I feel like everywhere in the world will have, like, like in Mexico, Europe, everywhere, I think it'll become really commonplace. But in U.S., it may take some time because of the lobbies and everything. Now, is CAR T cell therapy, is that similar when you hear people, you know, going to Mexico to do high dose uh, T cell killer therapy? Is that what what, what they're doing down there? No, that's different. That's just like they have like natural killer cells and stuff like that, that they can infuse for anti like targeting. They don't have a CAR T in Mexico yet, but I am actually I'm working with a group um, in Mexico and they're actually building the first regenerative medicine hospital in the world. So it's like a four story hospital. I'm going to be the assistant medical director. So I'm, I'm helping to design everything around it. Um, so I'm going to make sure if we have gene editing, cell therapy, tissue injury, and then like CAR-T, we'll have all the, all the works. There's some really cool gene therapy too, which I think you will love. Um, and I think you, you would, maybe I'll get it for you when you come here, but it's called folostatin. Have you heard about it? Yeah, I've heard of folostatin, but tell me about the therapy. Yeah, so it's called folostatin gene therapy. So it's originally designed to treat muscular dystrophy, but they're using it in healthy people too to help put on muscle. Because basically, the, it increases folostatin levels, which inhibits myostatin. And myostatin, for people who don't know, is basically like the enzyme that kind of blocks your ability to put on muscle. Most people have similar amounts of myostatin, but someone like Ronnie Coleman, who's like the best bodybuilder of all time, everyone thinks he had a myostatin deficiency. Um, or if you if you Google myostatin deficiencies, you'll probably see these big bull cows that have like ridiculous amounts of muscle. Yeah, like like the myostatin knockout bulls, myostatin knockout mice, myostatin knockout dogs. You Google image search for that is crazy. Yeah, it's wild, right? And so now we finally have a therapy, and it's the best part about the gene therapy is it doesn't. It's not like it's actually affecting your DNA. It's only it basically increases transcription factors that increases that folostatin, and it's a temporary thing. It, it lasts from like six months to a year. But it's it's such a better and safer alternative than I think than like something like anabolic steroids, um, where it's not going to put any stress on your kidneys or livers or anything like that. But it may potentially increase your ability to put on muscle mass during that period. So I think it's going to be really cool. So I'm I'm excited to try it on myself, and I'm sure you'd love to try it too. I'll probably be the first doctor uh, outside of Honduras where they have it right now to have access to it. Yeah, I think I heard the Liver King talking about myostatin knockout therapy at one point. I'm pretty sure it was a joke, although who knows now. This folostatin, obviously, if we're inhibiting the pathways that would shut down myostatin, then would there be any risk? Like some people, for example, get concerned about excess myostatin stimulus and the early onset of things like cancer due to excess growth in tissue like like do you know of any side effects of this folostatin therapy right now there have been trials for over a decade as far like if you look at the pubmed literature and uh, the safety has been pretty high on it there hasn't been any risk of those cancer and i think the other thing people like i know obviously like david sinclair and stuff they are talking he talks a lot about mtor and protein synthesis and possibly increasing your risk of cancer with these type of things but personally i think it's you know you have to look at the whole picture and when you put on more muscle uh you actually release what are called myokines and myokines are a type of 
uh, cytokine, which is a protein, uh, which actually decreased inflammation systemically and actually decreased your risk of cancer. And that's been shown in like several trials and um, also in vitro, like in basic like science research too. So I think I think you have to look at the big picture. Yes, like maybe mechanistically, maybe there's some increased risk of like some cellular pathways getting increased risk of like development of, you know, cancer pathways. But like that's just a mechanism. You have to look at the actual clinical research and their outcomes. And and if you look at the clinical outcomes, muscle and strength tend to be like the best predictors of longevity and health and quality of life. Now back to the peptides, you you had mentioned a couple that you use in these these stacking pathways. Uh, what were those peptides you mentioned? I'm just curious if you use any others. Yeah, those were thymosin alpha one and thymosin beta four. Um, the reason we use those specifically is because they work with your immune system, and because the thymus gland is a, kind of one of the master regulators of your immune system. It's where T cells are created, like from the bone marrow, they go there, and then the T cells get uh, created, and that's like the adaptive immune system, and so. Basically, what it does is it helps to immunomodulate or helps to regulate the immune system. And so that's why it can work really well with the IV stem cells, because the IV stem cells are attacking the immune system more from like the gut perspective and anti-inflammation perspective. Then you're getting that combination effect. You know, I'm a bit of a mad scientist. So one of the things I'm going to offer in Mexico is um, like IV stem cells, peptides and FMT together, which is like the fecal microbial transplant. Oh, really? Yeah, because if you do all three together then you're really stacking powerful pathways, right? Because I'm sure you know a lot about FMT because you're into like, you know, but just for your audience, like you're basically literally just taking healthy poop and putting it into your colon and it makes such a, and it can make such a big difference on health and can, it can cure like IBD. It can help with like C. difficile, which is like a chronic bacterial infection. And it's like a lot of doctors didn't believe it when it first came out, but it's, it's the same principle as the stem cell. It's almost, it's like you're creating a new e- ecosystem. And then you're so you're functionally changing the ecosystem to have all these good bacteria. And obviously the good bacteria are a big regulator in your immune system too. So my theory is that if we combine the IV stem cells and the peptides and the FMT, we can probably treat most autoimmune conditions. Um, I've already had pretty good results treating many autoimmune conditions just using the IV stem cells and peptides. But I think all three together would be like really something unique. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never heard of someone combining those procedures before. Now, now the now the FMT, obviously, like you mentioned, that's something that's been shown to be successful for things like IBD or, or C. difficile, particularly. But it sounds to me like what you're proposing is that a person who's already healthy could do something like FMT with stem cells and peptides and experience some type of like anti-aging or longevity effect that that would boost their health even more. Exactly. Immune boosting, right? Like, think about it. You're making your immune system stronger. You're just, you're bulletproofing your immune system. The stool that's used for, for an FMT, that's pretty well screened. Exactly. It's the same type of screening methods that they use for the stem cells. Like, it's very they healthy young donors, usually athletic, and they do genetic testing, all that stuff. Okay. Now, what about exosomes? Are you a fan of combining stem cells with uh, exosomes? There's a lot of debate, again, in the scientific community about this. For example, the scientist I'm working in, in Dubai in Italy, he, he basically says exosomes are like a poor man's stem cells. You know, basically he says if you can't afford stem cells, then do exosomes. Uh, but then I have other doctors I work with who say like the exosomes from amniotic fluid can be really powerful for like anti-inflammation and oxidative stress. I think based off everything I've seen, um, I think the exosomes can be good on their own, but they're usually more temperate. There's something you have to do like every six months or a year and you have to repeat it. Uh, whereas the stem cells, because you're you're creating like a new ecosystem, like we we're talking about, they tend to be more long lasting. And for anti aging and longevity, you don't have to do them that often. You can do them every like two to three years. Uh, whereas the exosomes, you probably have to do every six months, I think, for like possibly maybe a year to really get the longevity benefits. Can you combine them for sure? I don't know if there's going to be any real additional benefit, but because the stem cells are so powerful on their own, like the, and they're kind of the exosomes kind of doing similar type of things. But what we're working on is designer exosomes. What that means is any any cell that can be cultured, you can create exosomes on. So we're actually working on creating a muscle-derived stem cell exosome, a liver-derived exosome, and cardiac and kidney. And so because then we can treat those conditions specifically, especially sarcopenia, which is a big problem, uh, which is a loss of muscle as you age. So we're going to create a muscle, and we're going to, obviously, these are all our patents, um, but we'll be the first company in the world to have our own designer exosomes. Okay, got it. And do, do you do much with hormones like TRT or anything like that? Mm-hmm. The reason is because in sports medicine, if you, if you don't optimize your hormones, like you can't recover sometimes, right? And if so it's one of the things you have to understand if you're going to be like a high-level sports doctor. Obviously, from an anti-aging and longevity perspective, 
I'm sure most of your audience is pretty well educated on like the importance of testosterone and all that. Uh, but it, it, but it also does make a difference for injury recovery because let's say if your growth hormone levels are suboptimal or your testosterone is suboptimal, you're not going to recover as fast as someone who has good like levels for their age. Um, so I do think it's it is important to check it and optimize it too. Okay, so with testosterone, what what form of therapy do you like for that? Because some people will prefer injections, others pellets, others a, a cream. Do you, do you have a preferred protocol for testosterone replacement therapy? I mean, generally, I find the injections just absorb better. Like, there's just so much variability with the other stuff. I mean, the pellets are convenient, obviously. Like, once it's in there, you don't have to worry about it. And, I, you know, it is a relatively new thing in Canada. I know in the U.S. they've had it for a while. My preference is injections because then you can also have and especially if you do injections frequently, that's, I think that's the big difference. So like a lot of doctors prescribe it like, oh, do it once every 10 days or once every two weeks or once a week, but then your levels will like, you'll, you'll have a big trough and then you'll have like a drop. That's my understanding. Like, like a real big surge and then a drop that no way mimics the, the natural diurnal variation in testosterone. Exactly. Yeah. So what's better is to do it like every day or every even like, yeah, every day sounds crazy. But some people um, said that you can uh, I mean, some of the doctors I've worked with and some of the research out there, you can do it subcutaneously even every day. And the results are pretty similar to doing it intramuscularly once a week. You just spread the dose out and it's more. And obviously subcutaneous injection is much, uh, much easier. Yeah, that's interesting. And so the thing with the testosterone replacement therapy regarding the gel, what about the application of like a gel in the morning and in the evening, which a lot of doctors will do now? That does mimic the pathway. Like, I mean, like the variation, diurnal variation better, but the problem is the absorption is just so variable. Like the bioavailability is like in studies, it seems to be high, but then I find clinically, like some people are like, oh, I didn't even notice the difference. I've seen that a lot or and their testosterone levels just don't budge on it. So sometimes if like people are really hesitant to take injections, we, we will start them on that. But then I find like probably like 30% of the time, like people are just like, don't notice the difference. Yeah. On your Instagram profile. And, and if you, if you look you personally up on social media, you're obviously pretty fit. You've got a lot of muscle yourself. I would imagine you do a lot of the protocols that you're talking about, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, and this might be kind of an involved question about your own daily routines. Like, like, what are you actually doing on a typical day based on everything that you know for exercise, for diet, for supplementation? Like, what would, what would a typical day look like for you? My life is like a dumpster fire right now. So it's like <laughs> I, I, I try my best to incorporate. I think the big thing is like for people to like, especially for high performers, like people who are doing a lot, like you do have to have a routine. And so I'm very like OCD with my routine. Like I try to always meditate like 10, 10 minutes in the morning. I have a very specific meditation that I listen to every time. It's the same one. Um, and that way I just like kind of repeat it. And for me, it's like easy and gets me going. And then I can kind of focus on my goals and like what I want to accomplish for the day and that type of stuff. You mean on an app, like one of these meditation apps, you have your own customized routine? It's just a YouTube video of this. Um, it's one of these Indian guys who's like, I forgot his name, but he has such a calming voice, but he also has, he's a guided meditation for like 10 minutes. And it says, I can, I can share it if you want, but like, it's basically like the best morning meditation. Share it with me and I'll add it to the show notes. Why do you like it so much? It's because of the way he, um, he, he talks about how your energy and everything starts in your spine. And so he always talks about like inhaling and imagine the energy is going into your spine. Like one by like first do it, imagine the energy from your arm is going into your spine and then breathe out slowly and exhale. And then imagine you're bringing it back into your spine. And he always talks about like how it's centered around your spine. And I find, and obviously the diaphragmatic breathing, but I find there's this interesting, um, you know, I, I think if you look across a lot of the cultures where they talk a lot about meditation and mindfulness or something about like, you know, chakra, energy, chi, all that stuff kind of starting in, that, in the spine, uh, in the lower back there. And I, I feel like that just helps to center everything when you meditate. Interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try it out. Or just email it to me and I'll add it to the show notes. And by the way, for everybody listening in, the show notes can be at bengreenfieldlife.com slash drkhan, D-R-K-H-A-N. So you got the meditation in the morning. What else are you doing? I do take a supplement called DHEA. You've probably heard about it. Yeah. I mean, this is a supplement in the U.S., but in Canada, it's actually a drug. Um, but basically, it's like kind of like a pro-hormone, I guess. Um, but it can help to synthesize more testosterone. And it is very important after – I just turned like 35. So based off the literature and what I've read, like after 35, it's probably recommended for all males to take between 25 to 50 milligrams. And it's also can be a good co complement to TRT if you're on that too. That's one of the supplements I take on a daily basis, which I find really helps with my energy and like mood and all that stuff. You don't get concerned at all about that getting uh, converted into DHT or causing hair loss or anything like that? 
Well, that's why I take, I personally take pumpkin seed oil, mm. uh, 500 milligrams a day. It's an alternative to finasteride or Propecia, and, and it's also a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor, so it prevents the conversion to DHT. Okay, got it. That's good to know, because I think a lot of people are, are on DHEA and experiencing some of those issues and are aware of that. So, so pumpkin seed oil is what you take to combat that. Yeah, there's actually a clinical trial head-to-head comparing pumpkin seed oil to finasteride, and it has similar efficacy without any side effects. Okay, got it. So you got DHEA, you got your meditation session. What are some other big things that you're doing? I usually do do intermittent fasting, and it's partly because I'm just so busy and I don't have time to eat in the morning. I'm always like in a rush. So my fasting is usually like, I would say 16 to 18 hours. And I find that if I am doing intermittent fasting, though, what I, one thing I do consume throughout the day is something called uh, HMB. It's a basically a, leuc- a leucine uh, metabolite. So leucine for people don't know, it's basically one of the amino acids that helps with protein synthesis. And one of the risks with intermittent fasting is that you can lose muscle, especially if you don't not getting enough protein. Um, and so for me, muscle is always probably one of the priorities, especially because I, you know, I obviously do powerlifting and bodybuilding, but I think for health and longevity in general, muscle is like king, but we're not talking about anabolic stories. We're talking about natural. And so without taking steroids, like how can you preserve muscle mass, especially if you're in a calorie deficit or if you're doing intermittent fasting. And so I use HMB in my, like I just drink it throughout the day in my water, three grams a day. By the way, I, I interviewed uh, Sean Wells at one point. He's a big fan of this ingredient he developed called dilucine. He actually sent me a little little bottle of this dilucine powder and recommended I use it for because I lift weights a lot in the morning and I'm in a fasted state. And apparently it does help to stave off some of that catabolism. Now, now, previous to that, pretty much what I've used are essential amino acids, which is a, a blend of different ingredients. We actually amped up the leucine content of the, the Keon essential amino acids for, for this reason, amongst a few others. But this idea of leucine, whether you're getting it from like dilucine or whether you're, you're stacking with something like HMB or using essential amino acids, I think a lot of people aren't aware at how effective that is. It's staving off the potential for muscle catabolism if you're working out in a fasted state. Like It can be a real game changer. It can be. And like people don't realize like, yeah, IF is a great tool, but a lot of people I think overuse it or like, and they don't realize that they're, yes, they're losing body weight, but they're probably losing muscle and fat. Um, and you really want to be careful because I've seen it and I've seen it clinically too. Like people use IF when I used to do obesity medicine, um, like literally you would see someone lose like 20 pounds, but their body fat wouldn't change. <laughs> I'd be like, what the, yeah. it's like they just lost muscle. <laughs> it's like, and because they're just doing IF all the time and they're in a calorie deficit and they're not getting enough protein and they can't maintain their strength and they're just doing low intensity cardio like walking or yoga. And I find that's very common with females especially. And so I don't think we can overstate the importance of um, dilucine or HMB. Generally speaking, like, you know, my days usually like obviously I'm, I'm working, I'm doing procedures. I have lots of meetings because I, I run a I run a company. Um, it's called Regeneratus. We're like a startup stem cell technology company. We have our that one of proprietary stem cell tech we we've developed, and you know now we're 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 so we're expanding that. So really busy with that stuff. And then even if on my off days, I always try to get some sort of movement session in. Um, so obviously I do like high intensity strength training four to five days a week. Right now I'm just kind of doing like a bodybuilding split, but I switch. You know, there's so much misinformation about this stuff, but like the problem is. The community, the fitness community is run by mainly um, anabolic steroid users. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no judgment on them. And obviously I take care of literally the top bodybuilders in the world. So they're my friends, but like, it's just not applicable if you're not on steroids. And so you need to know how to train when you're not on steroids. And generally speaking, just doing a bodybuilding split four or five days a week is not optimal for most people. But you know, if you're someone like me, I've been training for over a decade so I can, and I alternate. So I usually do right now I'm doing bodybuilding, but my plan is to go back to powerlifting in a few months. And then that way, you know, I continue to build strength. And then when I go back to bodybuilding, I can do higher volume um, with higher weight. And so I get more metabolic workload and capacity and all that. The gist of it is the strength training is really key for me. A lot of people, the problem is if you're not getting good sleep and you're stressed, like strength training is just going to put an additional stress on your body. So you really have to be in good like health in general before you start like lifting heavy weights. And um, so I, I find like a lot of people need to get their cortisol regulated, get good sleep, manage your stress, all that stuff, and then add in high intensity strength training. Uh, but a lot of people try to add that in and they just burn themselves out. It is one of those things like I love and I can do because my body can handle it. Uh, but it's also because like I have all the other factors kind of dialed in. And and by the way, a lot of times like I'll go through periods of time where I'm working on a book or I have a pretty high workload and I'm only able to sleep like around six hours a night. And so one of the things I'll do for that is I'll, I'll use a little bit more NAD or do NAD patches or IVs because 
those helped with a lot of the cellular repair that would be happening during the longer sleep periods. And then I'll do a yoga nidra or a non-sleep deep rest protocol or some type of deep meditative session in the afternoon, which, which is only like 20 to maybe 40 minutes max. But if I can do a nap and a little extra NAD, even if I'm on a short sleep cycle, I'll usually have pretty good workouts and pretty good repair and recovery. I, I know that sleep deprivation is something you don't want to extend for long periods of time, but for short workload stints, like if I have a couple of weeks here and there where I'm just working more than I more than usual and also shorting sleep a little bit, I, I find that NAD and then that, that daily rest protocol helps out quite a bit. Yeah, it's funny actually. I just I just had NAD the last two weeks in a row because I'm in that situation right now. It's like I'm in a new country working and I'm just like inundated with opportunities and I like raising money for my company. It's just like yeah, just like crazy workload. And so my sleep has been like six hours and it's just yeah. I did, I did two IV. I do. I'm doing four in a row. I don't know what you do, but I do. I usually like to do like four in a row and then like once a month type of thing. Yeah. Uh, and then use just something called quercetin too, which is important to take with it because it helps to with the cellular senescence and all that. Yeah, that, that can actually help out like fisetin, carcetin, some of these flavanols and polyphenols. You're right. They, they can really help out with the uh, with the NAD absorption. Now, I've actually increasingly been using patches because it's a little bit more convenient than the IVs and the transdermal absorption is actually pretty good. These, these ionthophoresis patches that you just put on your inner thigh, you saturate one side of it with a saline solution, the other side of it with a little bit of NAD and you slap that on. And I, I feel like I get similar effects as getting an NAD IV. The other one that works really well, and a lot of times I'll do this for like a long haul airplane flight is uh, a high dose NAD suppository. So it's just like a slow bleed via rectal delivery into the system. And I think that the patches and the suppositories, they're definitely superior to, to oral intake of NAD, but they also seem to, uh, seem, seem to approximate what I get from an IV. That's awesome. I didn't even know you could get the suppository. That must be compounded pharmacy. Dr. John Laurence in Florida, he's, he's got some really good stuff like high-dose melatonin suppositories, uh, NAD, a lot of stuff I'll travel with just to get the equivalent of an IV without having to mess around with you know, needles and finding clinics and stuff when I travel. Now, now for sleep, do you have anything in particular that you're doing You know, as a busy guy who's obviously trying to prioritize some of your strength training and workouts and also your, your medical practice? Are you doing anything interesting when it comes to prioritizing or hacking your sleep? You're starting to set your body up for a good sleep by, you know, by doing all the right things throughout the day, like we talked about, because all those things help to with your circadian cycle, especially the exercise and the meditation and all that stuff. Um, and then also the cortisol regulation. Like I do take adaptogens on a pretty regular basis, usually ashwagandha, KSM 66, like post-workout. Reason post-workout is because that's when your cortisol is kind of spikes and you want to do something to help bring it down. So I use, I use vitamin C and KSM 66 to kind of bring that down, especially because I'm usually working out in the evening. That I find really makes a difference for me from the cortisol regulation because a lot of people are are what's called adrenal dysregulation. They're not so basically, you know, when their cortisol should be low, it's high, and when it's high, it should be it's it's low, and that that's tired but wired, right? That's like the classic thing that happens to people at nighttime. They want to sleep but they can't, and that's usually just has has to do with their adrenal dysregulation. So if you can get some sort of uh, adaptogens in you, and like or whether and obviously there's IV protocols for that too, but I find for me at least personally, I find just the supplements do the trick. Red light therapy, I find, really helps me. Um, I think you do that too, correct? Obviously, you can use the red light therapy in the morning to simulate sunrise or in the evening, you know, as an alternative to like office lights in your office to simulate sunset and kind of establish better circadian rhythmicity. But you can even take it a, a step beyond that. Like uh, there's there's one device called a V-Light and it'll do like a 10 hertz alpha wave signal intranasally. And you can also wear it on, on your head so you get the intracranial and intranasal delivery. And that one is actually pretty impressive. I, I don't know if I will have released the podcast by the time this podcast comes out, but I, I just did a podcast with Dr. Lou Lim about the use of red light therapy intranasally and, and cranially for enhancing sleep and also this like meditative bliss state. So I think a lot of people are familiar with like the panels or replacing the bulbs in their room with incandescent or, or red lighting. But I don't think a lot of people are aware that you can use like intranasal red light and cranial red light to also enhance sleep. You, you can just put it on, pick up a book and it kind of lulls you to sleep as you're falling asleep. So that's kind of something new I've been doing. I haven't talked about it on the podcast much is using red light therapy, like the V light in alpha mode, just laying in bed at night while I'm reading. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's very interesting. You know, so so basically we're talking about all the factors that we can do to optimize your ability to fall asleep 
say for whatever reason you're struggling with sleep, which a lot of people do, uh, one of the things that I've, I've seen successful clinically, and um, there's actually a peptide called DSIP. Yeah, deep, deep sleep-inducing peptide. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that one I find, I find can be quite helpful for people because it's not like a set. The problem with the drugs, again, is like they're, they're usually just, you know, they don't actually affect your quality of sleep. They just kind of, they can increase your quantity, but not like the deep cycle. Um, and that's the same problem with CBD and THC and all that stuff too. You're not necessarily making more restorative sleep. So whereas the DSIP can, I'm a true scientific officer of HD Muscle. So I actually made a sleep supplement with them. And um, the main ingredient is really just valerian root. There's no melatonin in there. But the valerian root obviously can help, you know, it's, it's kind of like a GABA agonist, so it can help relaxation and everything. Yeah, I got I to gotta get your hands. Maybe I'll bring some to Dubai, the, uh, the, the Keon Sleep product. That's the one that, that I helped formulate over for Keon. And, and that thing, it works like gangbusters. Because I used to do a lot of like the valerian, the ashwagandha, stuff like that prior to sleep. And now I just do the Keon Sleep. And then if it's a super anxious or stressful day, I'll add a little bit of CBD I'm traveling at a little bit of melatonin, but that, that stack of Keon sleep plus CBD, or when you're traveling Keon sleep plus CBD plus melatonin. I mean, as long as you got your other sleep hygiene dialed in, like the cold, the light, the, the absence of external noise and not working a lot in bed, it's, it's a pretty good product. Again, it's the same principle, right? We're trying to stack multiple things at once to try to optimize whatever solution we're going to get to. And very few doctors think like that for whatever reason when it comes to medicine. But you've done it with biohacking and longevity. But I'm, I'm trying to do the same thing when it comes to like treating pain, treating injuries. It's like, why don't we try to actually think about how can we stack multiple things at once to get the most optimal result instead of just saying, like, let's just try this one thing, you know? Yeah. Adil, anything else you want to throw in before I let you go? I think people are really going to see regenerative medicine take off. It's a disruptive technology. Uh, we're in the middle of a stem cell revolution. And so people just need to remember that if you're going to get stem cells done, just make sure you check for flow cytometry and quality control, because I think those are the two biggest things. If we're going to remember one thing about what we talked about, it's, it's those two things when it comes to stem cells. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're listening, if questions or comments or feedback about what we've discussed so far, just go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash Dr. Khan, bengreenfieldlife.com slash D-R-K-H-A-N. Well, folks, until next time, I'm Ben Greenfield along with Dr. Adil Khan signing out from bengreenfieldlife.com. Have an amazing week. More than ever these days, people like you and me need a fresh, entertaining, well-informed and often outside-the-box approach to discovering the health and happiness and hope that we all crave. So I hope I've been able to do that for you on this episode today. And if you liked it, or if you love what I'm up to, then please leave me a review on your preferred podcast listening channel, wherever that might be. And just find the Ben Greenfield Life episode. Say something nice. Thanks so much. It means a lot. In compliance with the FTC guidelines, please assume the following about links and posts on this site. Most of the links going to products are often affiliate links, of which I receive a small commission from sales of certain items. But the price is the same for you, and sometimes I even get to share a unique and somewhat significant discount with you. In some cases, I might also be an investor in a company I mention. I'm the founder, for example, of Keon LLC, the makers of Keon branded supplements and products, which I talk about quite a bit. Regardless of the relationship, if I post or talk about an affiliate link to a product, it is indeed something I personally use, support, and with full authenticity and transparency, recommend in good conscience. I personally vet each and every product that I talk about. My first priority is providing valuable information and resources to you that help you positively optimize your mind, body, and spirit. And I'll only ever link to products or resources, affiliate or otherwise, that fit within this purpose. So there's your fancy legal disclaimer.